This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about settlement solutions, litigation, mediation, and structured financial security from Ringler, the largest and most experienced company of settlement consultants in the United States. Ringler has been helping injured people and their families since 1975. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by American General, Liberty Mutual, MetLife, Mutual of Omaha, New York Life, Pacific Life, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello and welcome to Ringler Radio, everyone. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, and we're certainly glad you could join us again today. Well, the recently proposed multi-billion dollar OxyContin settlement with Purdue Pharmaceuticals and its owners, the Sackler family, has now been agreed to by 24 states, while a number of attorney generals in 25 other states have so far refused. According to Purdue's statement, quote, Purdue Pharma continues to work with all plaintiffs on reaching a comprehensive resolution to its opioid litigation that will deliver billions of dollars in vital opioid overdose rescue medicines to communities across the country impacted by the opioid crisis, unquote. And joining me today as my co-host is my friend and Ringler colleague, Bob Caples from Houston. Bob serves as the CEO, president, and managing associate of Ringler's Houston office. He joined Ringler in 2007 after spending 11 successful years as a structured settlement consultant with another prominent firm. So with that, welcome back, Bob. Great to have you here as our co-host. Larry, thanks so much. It's always great to be here. Terrific. And our special guest today is attorney Jonathan Novak from the Dallas office of the Fears Nachiwadi Law Firm, where he uses his background as a former U.S. Department of Justice Drug Enforcement Administration litigator to advise clients in multiple areas, including opioid and other mass tort litigation. So with that, welcome to the show, Jonathan. I know it's a very interesting topic we're going to be, we're going to be discussing today. Well, thank you so much for having me. Great. So Jonathan, let's begin by discussing your work at the DEA and tell us about your role in an investigation that was actually featured on 60 Minutes about the opioid epidemic. Tell us about it. Sure. Um, well, many years ago now, I was working at DEA. I was in a group there whose focus was opioids. Now, it was all forms of controlled substances all over the country, but our caseload was primarily going after bad doctors and bad pharmacies all over the country for the overprescribing of opioids. Um, and honestly, when I started, business was booming. Um, we did a lot of work down in Florida, uh, where there were pretty Wild West laws when it came to who could own a pill mill um, who could own one of those pain management clinics and, and, and run it. And, and people were making money literally hand over fist, bags of cash, that kind of thing. So I worked those cases for many years. And ultimately, uh, the, 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 the heads of management there realized that every time we shut down a bad doctor or a bad pharmacy, another two were popping up to, to, to take the place. There was already this overwhelming demand, a market for opioids, and people were going to step up to provide them. There's a provision in the law that says, you know, doctors have to be registered with DEA and pharmacies have to be registered with DEA, but there's a provision there about what are known as distributors and manufacturers, the people who make the pills and the people who sell them to the pharmacies. We realized those are the higher parts of the food chain, and they're not living up to their obligations to monitor for suspicious orders. 
So we began to go after these larger companies, these big chains, and these big, these big distributors. There are three distributors in this country who own 85% of the opioid market. So we started looking into them. What happened is we had some success. We shut them down. We dinged them for $80 million, $150 million. And that's when something started to change at DEA. Um, 60, 60 Minutes in the Washington Post began an investigation. Um, I had left DEA, and they were doing this investigation as to why, in the middle of the opioid epidemic, my work group was suddenly doing less and less and less cases. Ultimately, I spoke with them about the fact that during my time at DEA, some of the best attorneys who were there, who were working these cases, who knew the Code of Federal Regulations and the Controlled Substances Act better than anyone, mm-hmm. they began to get hired yeah. by the pharmaceutical companies. That seems to be a pattern, uh, Jonathan, because a lot of the times when the uh, when people are pursuing uh, certain bad actors, sometimes those folks begin to hire the people that are pursuing them. It's a, it's seems to be a, a troubling pattern in our in our society, and we're glad that you were. You were certainly pursuing what you were doing. Bob? Yeah, Jonathan, I think our uh, our listeners would really be fascinated to know what the backstory is on the Sackler family. So could you spend a moment talking about the Purdue Pharma Sackler family practices with doctors and patients and how their actions led to the opioid epidemic? You know, Purdue presents a very unique company uh, in, in this litigation and really in the world. It's a privately held company. There's a family, as you mentioned, the Sacklers, who own that company. All of these other pharmaceutical companies, the distributors, the manufacturers, they're publicly traded. They have obligations under certain laws. They have disclosures they have to make that don't apply to a privately held company. What has begun to come out about the way that Purdue has been run is the family in charge, the Sacklers, had a very heavy hand in the day-to-day operations of how Purdue was run. Purdue had a background in publishing articles about pharmaceuticals made by Purdue. They did this through a, 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 a publication that was in no way tied to Purdue in name. There was no way anyone would know that this wasn't a third-party magazine saying this new drug from Purdue is really great. Um, that was, that's a history that has existed with Purdue for many years. So a new drug was invented, OxyContin. Not exactly a new drug because we have had awareness of opioids for forever. What has happened previously is that opioids were typically manufactured with acetaminophen, Tylenol. And you can't really take opioids long term because uh, with the acetaminophen in there, you'll kill your liver. You'll be dead from liver failure way before you have any addiction issues. So with, you know, armed with the, 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 the ability to market drugs directly and armed with uh, unlimited resources to pour into uh, the entire community, um, basically the Sacklers started changing the story. Textbooks were rewritten from medical schools. Marketing materials were sent out that said, you don't have to live with pain anymore. 
And the implication soon began to be that if a doctor wasn't prescribing pain medication to their patient, that doctor might be practicing, might, 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 uh, might have a malpractice claim brought against them because their patient is suffering and it's their obligation to stop the pain. All of this was done through this, as, as it was called, a, this blizzard of prescriptions was the result of the Sacklers and of Purdue changing the way that we talked about opioids and the way that we expected, we normalized opioid use. Well, there's no question about that. In other words, they were promoting the use of it for uh, pain relief and doctors were obviously caught up in that. Uh, and there's a kind of a vicious circle that, uh, that started that led to where we are today. Uh, I also want to commend you for uh, alerting all of our listeners that they shouldn't be taking too much Tylenol either because that doesn't sound like it's too good for them. So uh, No, you'll, you'll get a bad stomach that way. That's really, really true. Well, Jonathan, let's take a look at the proposed settlement that uh, had led us to this conversation today. What are some of the more important aspects of the settlement that we should know about? Typically, a settlement in, in, in litigation is going to be a one-time payment um, or a return of something that was taken. That's not what we're looking at here. Now, there's a lot of disagreement as to the value of this settlement, but what we're talking about is basically making sure that there's money over time that would be used to abate this, this, this horrible epidemic. Okay. And, and where is that money? How is that money going to be allocated? Is it going to be uh, put into a fund? Is there some uh, fund that's been recommended to it to be uh, dispersed from, or is it going to be an annuity process that's going to pay over time? Do you, do you know the details of that? It's, it's so those are the kinds of details that are being worked out right now. Mm -hmm. um, so there's nothing definitive in terms of those sorts of things, except the expectation is that due to the number of plaintiffs already involved in this litigation, the number of lawsuits that have been filed against Purdue, um, that there's going to have to be inherently someone overseeing how these, how, where the money goes and how it's allotted. Now, they are talking about sums of money, including there's, there's talk that the Sacklers themselves will kick in uh, some amount of billions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And then there's also discussions basically of taking the company as it is, turning it into a different sort of company that doesn't uh, make OxyContin, and that Profits from that going forward mm. would go to the plaintiffs, um, which is a very unique idea. Yeah, yeah, no question. So it sounds like you're, we're going to be talking about perhaps a special master that's going to be there running uh, running the uh, the show in terms of how some of these details are going to be going to be paid. Uh, and also, I understand there's a whole uh, scenario around overdose reversal medications that. That's also part of the settlement. Is that true? That they're yes. trying to do that to get, get a, lo a lot of those kinds of medications out to the public that are uh, suffering right now from uh, opioids? Absolutely. And, and what you're talking about is Narcan. And I, as I go all over the country, you will, every, every community I'm in will talk about an unfunded mandate to have first responders carrying Narcan. Narcan's incredibly expensive. And so much of the costs that we've seen um, associated with the opioid epidemic 
so much of it is just the cost of making sure that that a county that a, that a that a uh, an ambulance driver has Narcan on hand, that the police have Narcan on hand. Um, part of this, and again, this is why I think the settlement's going to be incredibly brand new and groundbreaking if it goes through, because that's part of what they're contemplating is communities need Narcan. So as part of a settlement, we will make sure that communities are given enough Narcan and will for quite some time until we start seeing a drop in overdoses. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, that's fascinating, Jonathan. Uh, what I detected, though, and uh, I think what we've learned is that this, this settlement does not include an admission of wrongdoing. If that's true, what are your thoughts about on that? So I will tell you that in the years that I've come up against these companies and companies like them, never once have I ever seen an admission of any responsibility or liability. And part of me is riled that we can't have anyone admit that they did something wrong. But the other part of me wants to get results for the people who are suffering. And sometimes I have to put aside, you know, the, the, there's a little bit of righteous indignation that I think any good attorney has. They're angry on behalf of their client. I have to put that anger aside if it means getting a good result for the people out there who desperately need resolutions like this to start happening so that we can start getting resources to them to fix the problem. But it, it, it definitely, it's the type of thing that sticks in your craw. Well, you know, you know, piggybacking on that, you know, one of the reasons why some of the attorney generals from states like Massachusetts and Connecticut and New Hampshire have refused so far to, to uh, agree to the proposed settlement is they're citing the lack of accountability by Purdue and the Sackler family. So it's it's really having an impact. So, some of these uh, states that perhaps should get on board, and if everyone got on board, this process could then begin, uh, are really having a problem, like you just said, uh, coming to grips with the fact that the Sacklers and Purdue are not really owning up to the uh, to the problems that they cause. Absolutely. And that's a big part of doing the type of work that any attorney general does. You are an advocate for your public and you are an advocate for your state and you are out fighting your hardest to protect your citizens. And in that, I, you know, I commend them. I also, you know, you hear a lot of rumblings that there's more money that has been shifted around. Now, I don't, I can't say that that's true, but the New York attorney general believes they've located more funds that were secreted away. And I think that's a big part of why many of the attorneys general have not come out in support of this yet. Yeah, I did. I think a lot of us have seen in the news this issue of uh, them secreting monies in the island accounts and other places. And uh, I'm sure that's added to the uh, suspicions by many of these attorneys general that maybe all of it hasn't been accounted for yet. Well, let's take, exactly. a, let's take a quick break right now, but we'll be right back just a minute from now, right here on Ringler Radio. We'll be right back. This is Ringler Radio, brought to you from Ringler, the nation's leading provider of fair settlement solutions. Did you know that Ringler is involved in a third of all structured settlement cases in the country? Ringler advisors work with all the parties in a lawsuit settlement to find the best possible financial solution for the people involved. Everybody wins. 
There's a Ringler Consultant in all the major cities of the U.S. No one has more experienced experts in the settlement business than Ringler. Check out our website at www.ringlerassociates.com for the best information for injured parties, attorneys, and claims professionals to find the Ringler Advisor nearest you. When it's your interest at stake in a lawsuit settlement, you want only the best, most objective financial plan. You can count on Ringler Advisors to create a customized plan that meets the financial needs of you and your family for the future. Visit ringlerassociates.com to learn more. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. Glad you could join us. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, along with my co-host, Bob Caples, from Ringler's Houston office, and I've been speaking with our guest, attorney Jonathan Novak, about the proposed opioid settlement. Jonathan, in the proposed agreement, uh, Purdue says it will use Chapter 11 reorganization to finalize and implement the settlement agreement. I know there's been some controversy over Purdue's bankruptcy filing, so tell us about that and how that's impacted the uh, the whole settlement idea. The first thing the first thing that has to be understood is is I think anyone any any plaintiff's attorney in this litigation and there are over two thousand cases just in the federal MDL. Any plaintiff's attorney will tell you that this is not an unexpected result. When they're carrying a potential liability of tens, if not hundreds of billions of dollars as claimed in these lawsuits, um, and you look at the, the alleged value of the company, um, you know, they're just, there was no version of this that they were going to weather the storm. I think that the rulings that we've seen and the orders that have come out of the MDL really, you know, that's guided the fact that we're headed this way. But, you know, it, this, this bankruptcy, the only way that the type of settlement that they've proposed works is, as you said, uh, you know, maybe a special master overseeing it or in this particular instance with a bankruptcy court who hopefully will affirm any proposed settlement and use that as the structure for moving everything forward. Um, but it's, it's in my experience, I have not, I, it, this is not typical. This is not, this is not how you would normally handle a settlement. And the bankruptcy filing has also created logistical problems uh, in the lawsuits because nearly every single complaint identified Purdue as the lead defendant. And now you're seeing a mass of attorneys all over the country having to refile or file an amendment or non-suit the party. So it's created, you will not be surprised to learn that this has created a lot of work for a lot of court clerks. Yeah, not unexpected either, because as as you know, a lot of uh, defendants in these cases try to make it as tough as they can on the parties pursuing them to uh, to get to the end result. Bob? Jonathan, uh, it's clear you've been involved uh, right in the thick of this opioid crisis for a very long time, about the, about the deepest you could get into it. Uh, I'm kind of curious, and I know our listeners will as well, um, what do you expect to hear from the people that have actually suffered from the opioid addictions, from the addicts to their families? Can you shed some light on that? I, from the very beginning the heart of this litigation and the heart of the work that I do has been about that. Uh, not only have I seen it firsthand from when I clerked and my judge 
had a criminal docket and I saw in amazing detail the effects that these pills were having on people and I had never experienced that in my life. I have a brother who has been struggling with addiction for years and all because he started on these dumb pills. I get angry about the situation we're living in and Every time I talk to anyone who's in recovery or who has a loved one, they're so thankful that somebody is standing up and fighting for them. We have been living in a society that ostracizes addicts when the reality of this particular type of addiction is that these are victims. These are victims of a fraud and they are struggling and they are suffering. <sighs> I, at a town hall meeting uh, in which my firm was um, had submitted a, basically to suggest that the town pursue the litigation and engage our services. A gentleman, uh, he, he, after we presented, a gentleman stood up and he said, we don't need these ambulance chasers here. Narcan? You want to talk about Narcan? Here's how we fix the opioid epidemic. Stop giving them Narcan. Problem fixes itself. That's an attitude that doesn't work anymore. That's an attitude that is outdated and it's heartless. I think that the people out there, you know, the, the people suffering, they want someone held accountable, but they also need the resources for help. You can't do a 28-day program for opioid addiction, for heroin addiction. It doesn't work. You need a long-term program and you need funding for that. The people who need help are going to get it, and I hope that they're very happy with that. Well, that's you. You stated that very eloquently, and I think that is the the essence of the problem that uh, these folks that are suffering from the addictions uh, to opioids need need the help of medical professionals and uh, others that are going to be able to deal with trying to help them get off of the, uh, the you know the circle of, of harm that they that they have right now. Uh, so, in closing, Jonathan, what would you say your assessment is about the ultimate acceptance of this settlement? Even from those states that are currently opposing it, what what are you foreseeing? Are you, are you seeing an overall agreement, you know, coming to fruition, or are you looking for a protracted fight in the courts? And of course, with the bankruptcy issues, we don't know where it's all headed. But what are you what are your thoughts? What are you what are you seeing in the crystal ball? The lay of the land right now is fascinating. I have never seen such a concerted effort by attorneys general to shut down counties and cities uh, and municipalities in, in efforts that should be coordinated. The loudest part of that opposition, the loudest part of the attorneys general who don't want counties and cities to have any litigation going on here whatsoever, are also the ones that are coming out against this settlement. And if anything... I think that we're, I ultimately think that we will see a settlement here. And I think that it's going to take things like, uh, you know, the effort of the Ohio attorney general to basically mandamus, uh, judge Polster to basically get all those cases shut down to shut down the bellwethers. I think those efforts will fail. And I think as a result of them failing, these attorneys general will acquiesce and will hopefully see that when we all go marching in the same direction at the same time, it, we're all better for it. 
Um, but you know, that's, that's a little, it's a little starry eyed for me too. And I'm just sitting here holding my breath, waiting for someone to finally go the other direction and, and to determine this. We're really, we're at, we're at a stalemate right now. I, I hear you loud and clear. And one, one final thought that came to mind. Are, are you seeing the effort to try to come to some resolution here, a real bipartisan political effort? I mean, there, there, are there, there are not factions on political sides that are uh, on either side of this uh, opioid issue. Are there or, or, or are there? No. I, what, and what's really astounded me, um, you know, from the very beginning, uh, I, I, I was actually, uh, it was my honor to testify for the United States Senate. Um, Senator Claire McCaskill, former Senator McCaskill, had me come and testify about my experiences. And it's, it's one of the few non-political issues. The, I think that what we're seeing with attorneys general who are against this settlement is it's not along party lines whatsoever. I think that there's both there's a, 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 an acceptance of the responsibility of the job to fight as hard as possible, but also nobody, no politically appointed or elected uh, official wants to have to thank the private sector for helping them do their job right. And I think that's a big part of this. I don't think it's politics. I think it's ego. Well, yeah, that's probably true. But, uh, you know, at least the fact that we have a bipartisan issue, I think that gives us all a little bit of hope that maybe this thing can get uh, dealt with uh, more quickly than not. So with that, Jonathan, if someone wanted to get a hold of you to talk to you about the issue or what, you're, you, what you've been doing on it, uh, how would they get a hold of you? You know, the easiest way is going to be to email me. Um, it's jnovak at fnlawfirm.com. I'm active on email all day, every day. Um, <laughs> Terrific. And Bob, how about yourself? Thanks, Larry. And to you, Jonathan, as well. Uh, as for myself, uh, like Jonathan, one of the easiest ways is to reach me at my email address, which is rcaples at ringlerassociates.com. And that's R-C-A-P-L-E-S at ringlerassociates.com. And then otherwise, you can reach me. Uh, here at my office, 281-937-9090. Terrific. And anyone out there that's listening can reach any of our Ringler Associates around the country by going to ringlerassociates.com. Uh, it's it's really a good website. It's got a lot of great information about uh, issues just like the one we're talking about today. And, of course, you can also listen to all the Ringler radio shows that have been uh that have been recorded for all these t years, and uh, you can get them from the website. You can also hear these shows from ringlerradio.com, legaltalknetwork.com, or you can go to iTunes, where you can uh, download right from iTunes and listen at your leisure. So with that, I want to thank you all for listening. Uh, Jonathan, thanks for being a great guest. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. And Bob, once again, thanks for being a great co-host. Likewise, Larry. Sure appreciate it. Terrific. And for all the rest of you out there, go have a great day. Bye-bye. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio, celebrating more than a decade of podcasting and over 2 million listeners. Think of Ringler, 
The Objective Settlement Advisors, with more than 140 consultants in 60 cities nationwide. Visit ringlerassociates.com today.